Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. All right. Well, I'm going to read to you from 3 John 2, a beautiful verse, statement, declaration towards the church that John was father and apostle to and to enter the church for every generation. He would be saying the same thing when he says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. I want to speak to you about a title and I work very hard on my titles so that, so that they're memorable. A title, is, a title is an idea's first impression like your clothing or your appearances. So if I announce a weak title or a lazy title, most pastors are lazy with their titles. You know, Faith Week 3 <laughs> is a bit forgettable. So I'm going to speak to you about the hierarchy of the soul. <clears throat> There's a visual there for those of you that are more visual learners. The hierarchy of the soul. Because John is making this connection to the church, and I think we need to keep doing this more often than we have, about the connection between your inner life and your outer life. That John said, I want you to do well and to prosper, but he said, I think it will be according to how well your soul is doing. So John connects that life is lived not from the outside in, which is how most people live their lives. Life is lived from the inside out. So whatever your internal climate, your internal ecosystem, whatever your internal environment is, will be governing what your external life looks like. And no one told us that. Because many of us think that our lives get better if things externally get better. And so many of us spend a lot of time, and it's exhausting, trying to change external things, thinking that will give us the internal peace and calm and happiness and stress-freeness that we want. And so people will go to great lengths to change external things, to avoid certain scenarios, to try and control other people's emotions and behaviors around them because they don't want to take charge of their own internal climate. This resigns you to becoming a thermostat, a thermometer rather, of people's temperature around you rather than controlling your internal climate with an internal thermostat that nobody ever touches but you. So you live from an internal climate that you control, meaning in all seasons of life you have a constant climate that you have set internally to try and steer your course through life based on this climate that you know is your sweet spot, is where you're comfortable as a person, is where you do life well, is where you thrive and flourish externally when internally that setting sits where it does and in a range that you've chosen for yourself. That's what John's saying to the church and what he's still saying to us. And I want you to understand that I think the greatest battle that humanity's ever had since Adam and Eve is a battle for the control and for the reordering of the soul. And what I don't think we understand as much as we understand that we are, as humans, body, spirit, and soul that we have three members that make us up as humans. I think most people understand that we're spirit, soul, and body, but I don't think people understand that within the soul there are component parts. 
and within the soul there are sub-members, and these sub-members are not equal. And so if no one tells us beyond you have a soul, and beyond the generalities that we hear about your soul, I think we don't get intentional about the management of the order of what makes a soul happy and prosperous that John is alluding to. Now this matters for us to talk about it in churches like yours and ours because your church and ours would be, broadly speaking, in the charismatic Pentecostal tribe. Charismatic Pentecostal churches, and especially Pentecostal uh, tribe churches, have not done well on this issue of the soul. When I became a Christian in my early teens and grew up in the church, the impression I got about the soul was that the soul was a problem. That the soul had to be managed and controlled um, and kind of kept down. The, the words I grew up hearing were words like, that's soulish. Um, that's the flesh. That's the soul. I grew up only ever hearing scriptures about the soul like David telling his soul to praise the Lord. Meaning, your soul doesn't want to praise the Lord was the interpretation of that. So David had to make his soul praise the Lord when his soul decided it wanted to be moody and negative that day. So I grew up with this impression by multiple things that were said and multiple things that were not said but inferred that my soul was suspicious, my soul was dodgy, and my soul was against my spirit. So I grew up with the understanding, and I say this to you because I think we are more enlightened now in our church leadership about this, but I don't think we are enlightened enough to tackle it and explain it and talk about it. And this buffets here, not because I'm old and have a broken leg again, but because I want just to sit here for a couple of minutes and say that the way I'm sitting here is, is how I want to come across to you today, all the time actually, you know, none of my communication is this, but especially on subjects like the soul, which I think are inherently complicated. So none of this today is me picking a fight with your soul or me saying somehow you're not getting it because I don't think any of us are getting it. I don't think humanity is getting it. So I am coming to this as a learner, as a grower, as somebody that's investigating and exploring the issue of the soul for the last 20 years when I realized my soul had been wrongly pushed back from my humanity and my Christianity. And in the late 90s when our church went through this crossing over that Tony mentioned, uh, of reinvention of our church, I think somewhere in that zone and season, I reconnected with the real me. And you cannot possibly be the real you unless you understand your soul. So I'm sitting down so that you know this is the tone because I'm in dangerous territory here for some of you. I'm in sensitive territory. I'm in complicated territory to dare to have the courage to get up here and speak to you about the soul um, in case I'm wondering, you might also think, well, that wasn't very spiritual. Or there wasn't enough Jesus in it. Or I didn't feel any goosebumps. I didn't feel the anointing. I didn't get to shout, amen. You'll be okay. <clears throat> so if you, track through, if you track through Bible history from Adam and Eve's fall, 
to the murdering of Abel by his brother Cain. And if you track through humanity of Bible alone, never mind humanity outside of the Bible, it's just a story of every single human being that's ever lived's battle with this issue of the soul, with anger or with fear or with anxiety or stress or worry um, that the spies that went into the land that got fearful when they saw what they saw was an issue of the soul. And they came back and they, they just let their soul vent in public and everybody else's soul was affected by that climate they chose. Now nobody's going to the promised land. Um, and from uh, David's heart that he struggled with at times, made mistakes in his life, and King Saul that struggled with jealousy and envy, all these great characters in history, I don't think sometimes the lessons we learn from them are anything to do with the soul. We make it all spiritual, and it's not. So we look at them, but we don't see their humanity. We look at their pattern, we look at their flaws, their mistakes, and we don't see their humanity. And if, by the way, the definition of perfect is anything that does exactly the, what it promised to do consistently, then all of our failings, all of our fears, all of our weaknesses, all of our phobias, all of our anxieties, all of our anger, all of our racism, all of our homophobia, all of our narrow-mindedness, all of our judgmental attitudes, all of it is proof that you are a perfectly functioning human being. That's all. But we've demonized that in the church. And if you are here today with anything remotely on that list or beyond, then maybe today you'll feel not as good as the perfect people sat down the row from you or up here. And we built churches that somehow have made us feel terrible for being human. We've got to stop it because that means that most of the world will never come to our churches because though, though, they, though they feel smiled at, and loved and accepted in our language that we use and our branding, because it's, it's, it's trendy around the world now to say, come as you are. But the truth is what we mean is come as we are. Because God help you if you came as you were 20 years ago. Now you're a cleaned up version of what you were. And the point is, you only came five years ago. Because the church couldn't have stomached you 20 years ago. That version of you, you convinced yourself, or some Christian did, that, you know, I think you'd have, or maybe you went to church and had such a terrible time, if looks could kill you, you wouldn't have come back because you didn't come to a smiling church like this one. And that smile that I received coming in, I know, because I know these guys, that smile is part of the culture of this church. It is not a fake thing at the door because... The fake thing at the door, this church has been through like all churches do. And we decide at some point in our journey, I don't want that to be artificial. I don't want it to be professional. I want it to be our DNA. I want happiness. And I want acceptance of everyone. I don't want come as you are. I want whosoever will may come. I want it to be our reality. I don't want it to be a sermon. I don't want it to be branding. I don't want it to be trendy. I don't want it to be in the shop window, but it's not on the shelves in the store when the shoppers come in. I don't want that church. And we had that church at Bradford for 17 years until we had the revolution 
of the reinvention. And the reinvention included my awareness that our church was languishing in our soul. Because I think we made the mistake of thinking too, and I think this was pretty much taught, um, directly and indirectly, that when you're born again, you get something called the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit are things that you think um, your soul gets a fast track to. So love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control, these are the fruits of the Spirit, meaning they came with the Spirit. So if you're born again, you're automatically happy and patient and kind and self-controlled because that connection is easy to make. That you're now a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come, meaning that when you got saved, you had an automatic upgrade to being a beautiful person. An automatic happiness and joy. So what happened was, when you were born again, spirit-filled, um, uh, full of the spirit, shabba and depressed, you felt embarrassed about being in church. Because, because the inference was your Christianity is not working. There's something you're not doing right. There's something in your life that's not right. So we immediately concreted over the soul by the spirit. And what we had was, and what we have around the world, and I travel now much more than I ever have to, to know this is still a massive problem in the church, which is why I'm talking about it around the world, is that we still have churches with overdeveloped spirits and an underdeveloped soul, which is what, which is, which is why we're able to be good in the bubble here, but then we're not good on Tuesday morning because we've taught you to have a strong spirit, but we haven't told you how the presence of the spirit in your life is not um, some X factor. It's not some magic. It's not some thing that just removes you from responsibility to work on your soul. All the spirit does, the presence of the Holy Spirit does not fix anything in you. It is the power to fix things in you. The Holy Spirit gives every human a power they never had, a relationship they never had, a companionship, a coach, a mentor they never have that's with you all of your life, 24-7, all of your life. It is an internal indwelling of God in you. He makes his home in you. And when the Spirit comes in and dwells a human, he says, okay, now, what do we need to work on together? That's your life. He'll never say to you, are we done? He'll never say to you, you're okay now. You had a hand laid on you and had a breakthrough. He'll never say that to you. And we have built churches that lead people to believe that you get fixed by a breakthrough or a revival or an anointing or a touch of God. And trust me, 32 years pastoring, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And the people that were the most baptized into that the people that spent all of their lives immersed in moving in the spirit and prophesying and words of knowledge and seeing visions and dreams and uh, an intercession for the world and all these very highly spiritual people, all of them, or certainly a vast majority of them, left our church in a heartbeat when they had to face the prospect of sitting next to a prostitute or a black person or a homeless person or a homosexual or anybody whose life they didn't approve of, because I was busing in hundreds of those people a week. And what those people did was, those people became like, like religious sniffer dogs in our church. We thought we were loving the world, because in our theology and in our songs, we were. But it's virtual reality. 
And I knew when we, when we brought people in and put a cat amongst the pigeons, all hell broke loose from these people that had a very, very developed spirit, but had a very impoverished, negative, narrow soul. Because love is something you have to cultivate and build in the hierarchy of the soul. So I wanted to spend seasons of my life, which I have before personally and never shared with anyone apart from me growing my soul, to get better understanding with the gift of self-awareness you must give to yourself as a human. Again, we've demonized self-awareness. You can't do life well at all to any standard. You can't self-improve. You can't grow. You can't flourish. You can't do marriage or friendship or work or life or team. You can't do anything well without self-awareness because you are completely blind about you and so the rest of us spend our life exhausted trying to tell you how you affect us. You have no autocorrect. Self-awareness is an autocorrection mechanism. You're able to interrupt your own internal narrative and say, that's not good. I need to stop doing that. I shouldn't have said that. That was rude. That was too strong. That was selfish. That was cynical. That was judgmental. Instead of others telling you that, and you've been defensive, self-awareness lets you know, yeah, I did do that, and I'm going to stop that. So you're constantly correcting yourself. This requires a self-awareness and a relationship with the soul that you're not just going to get by being here this morning full of the Spirit. So this is homework for you all as you leave this room, and it's never going to stop. So the soul has three members, the mind, the emotions, and the will. These three members of the soul are not just their sharing space, they have a hierarchical authority structure between them. And in your soul, the mind is king. And if your mind is not king of the soul realm of your life, then your mind will constantly be usurped and overthrown in a coup by your emotions. And what happens is your emotions, and this is, by the way, most of humanity, seven plus billion people on the planet, the vast majority of us live controlled in our soul by whatever we feel. And our emotions are out of control, and we are led by emotion. And all the drama, all the stress, all the exhaustion, all the anxiety, all of that that bleeds its way into our worlds is not because of what someone's doing to you or what someone said to you or the boss at work or the season of life you're in or the tragedy and trauma you're going through. And I know that's all of those scenarios are for us all here this morning and people out there, humanity. But it is not because of what's happening to us. It is because there's something inside of us that is running riot and governing how you respond and react to life and it's become such a pattern that you think it's you. And without self-awareness, you won't know it's not you and you won't know that there is something mixed up in the hierarchy of the soul. If your soul was a ship, then your mind is the captain. Your emotions are the engine room, supplying the energy for where the captain decides to go. And your will will be the steering mechanism of the ship. So just imagine if there's no captain on the bridge and all you've got is an engine room churning out power in a directionless ship. 
there's going to be collisions. There's going to be problems. There's going to be fatalities. And that metaphor, I think, describes most of us on the planet. And I don't want it to be true of us because we think we don't need to hear it because we're saved. So we don't talk about it in the church because um, we're born again. Yeah, but even Paul wrote, didn't he, in Romans 12, he writes, doesn't he, he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of the mind. Huh? The renewing of the mind is, is a continuum. It is a never-ending role, job we have to do, an all transformation, Paul's saying. Don't conform, be transformed. All transformation, clearly, as far as Paul's concerned, is dependent upon the renewing of the mind. And you can't renew the mind if the mind is subject to emotions. So, some of the things I've been figuring out in this last 20 years, and there's lots of things beyond the scope of today, and many of these things I'm learning about my soul and humanity's soul are finding an expression, I suppose, in everything I'm doing in life and certainly my teaching and so on. But let me give you a couple of things to help you understand why this matters. Your mind's in charge, number one. Number two in the hierarchy is your emotions. Number three is your will. So your mind thinks of something. Your soul provides the feeling that that thinking is calling for. Then the thought and the emotion infuse and put energy and strength and direction into whatever decision you make. That's, that's kind of basically how a healthy, aligned soul operates. And sometimes in life, you'll have moments, you'll have seasons where you kind of do that, but it was an accident. You just know it felt great. And he felt in control, it was a good outcome, he felt it was a good process, I thought it through, I felt I got a balance on it, and it was a great decision. But what irritates us and frustrates us all is we just don't know how to repeat it. We want to pull that off again, because now we feel we're in a season where we're out of control, don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, can't make my mind up, I feel this, feel that. And we have seasons where we sort of defaulted into a clarity of soul, and I want you to know that that clarity of soul can be yours day in, day out. And we'll all have weaknesses. We'll all make mistakes. Remember, I'm sat here in my mind with you. We'll all have times when we fail, get it wrong. But I think we can pull it back to where we're more in control, if you like, of outcomes and our internal world than out of control. So let me tell you something about feelings and mind to give you an idea of how this works well or not. Feelings, emotions, are data. They are not directives. Every feeling you have is not an instruction. It is not a directive. It is not a command. It's just information. But what we have done is we have interpreted every feeling because when, you, when we use the word feeling, emotions and feelings are different. When an emotion becomes a feeling, you literally feel it in your body. It affects you physically. It can even affect you in a rash or in some stress-related physical manifestation of a feeling. You feel it. It upsets you. It bothers you. keeps you awake. It's a feeling. And because you feel it, you can't separate it from you. It's a feeling. I feel it. I can't help it. I can't help it. Don't tell me that. I can't help it. I feel it. That's what we say. 
So you think because you feel it that you have to own it and it belongs to you. But you've got to backtrack and think that before you felt it, and if you've been feeling it for years, you've got to backtrack a long ways because somewhere that feeling entered your life from a thought pattern. So you were thinking about something. And with that, with that thought pattern, feelings began to occur around it. And now the, the feelings are attached to that thinking stream, that way you do life, that way you believe. And many of us don't know what we believe because there's subliminal hidden belief systems that we've had since we were kids. So things you believe about life, about money, about authority, about relationships, um, about loyalty, about aging well, about people of a different color, um, about the government, about people of a different lifestyle to you, um, about God, about church, about leadership, um, about sexuality, about whatever. All those stuffs in there, all that stuff's muddled up in there, much of it non-intentional, that's constantly dominating non-upgraded thinking that's constantly keeping alive old emotions and feelings that don't suit who you are now or want to become next. So what happens in life is often we, we, we change where we are physically, but we mentally and emotionally stay back there. So it's like getting upgraded to first class, but staying with an economy mindset. And it just kind of feels messy and appropriate. So I want you to go this week and think, okay, I feel this. And say to yourself, it's data. It's information. It's feedback. It's not a command. It's not who you are. It's not what you should do next. It's just data. What no one tells us about the member of the soul called emotions and feelings is that emotions have no transportation of their own. Emotions can't go anywhere. Emotions can't leave house. They can't go out on a day trip. They can't speak, they can't have a voice, they can't have any influence, they can't have a conversation, they can't get angry, they can't shout, they can't do a post, they can't write a book, they can't write a song, they can't preach a sermon. Your emotions can't go anywhere in life. They are stationary. They have no mobility unless your mind becomes their Uber driver. This is why the mind is king. Without a lift, without a chauffeuring service from your thinking, your emotions can't go anywhere. Which means you now should be aware and experiment with this if you don't think it's true because some of you need to play around with this to find out with self-awareness the connective relationship between this stuff. Some of you need to find out this week that just because you thought it and even felt it momentarily does not mean it is now what you must express today or in that moment or in that situation at work or whatever you are because what's happened is and it happens so quickly now because we're out of control with the awareness of what the mind's doing because we don't have self-awareness to spectate our own thinking which is what self-awareness gives you this ability to interrupt your own internal narrative that's not working as a man thinks, so he is. And you don't know how you think, so you don't know how you are. So what this does for you, this Uber idea, is that you've got to realize that whatever 
your feelings go this week is whatever you give them a lift to. If you want to have a different week this week, I want you to do some homework and think, okay, I am not going to, in my mind, drive over to Emotions House, park up, and say, jump in. I'm taking you with me into my work life, my, my marriage, my friendships. My, uh, uh, jump in. And then you drive off, and the rest of your day, really, your mind isn't driving. Your emotions took over. And some of you need to um, delete the Uber app that your emotions have that keeps summoning your thinking to come and give them a ride so they can express themselves. Gotta, and some of you have a contract. This is a problem. Some of you have, your emotions are such loyal customers <laughs> that you wonder what would you do all day if you didn't have that drama. One of, you, one of your most loyal customers is drama. And you're Ubering around drama every single day. And you've got to delete that contract with that drama queen that keeps demanding you carry me with you today. Don't forget me, will you? Don't forget we do drama. Us. This is what we do. And the thing about drama is drama loves company. So you may, be, you may be like basic level drama and think you are accomplished until you meet like degree level drama people. And under their mentoring, your drama goes to a whole other level. Next thing you know, we have, we have a drama family and friends WhatsApp channel. And on what may be a, a less drama day for you, there's incoming drama that ramps up your drama. So this week, some of you, to do what I'm saying to you for homework, you're going to have to also do a little bit of deleting on who is accessing you through social media or who's mailing you or whose stuff you're allowing to land and you're reading it because when you read it, your mind is thinking it and your emotions are saying, yes, pick me up, let's go there. And it's, it's milliseconds and you're there. And it may be an hour of your day that is unusual to the rest of your day, but for that hour, you were unhappy, you were stressed, you were miserable, you were negative, you weren't smiley, you weren't happy, you didn't engage because something was incoming, because you are like, you are like um, uh, a flight control center, what they call the control towers. You know, don't look at me blank, you're the genius on the front row. <laughs> Air traffic control. Some of you have no air traffic control in your head. You're letting anything land that wants to land. You're not, you're not fielding planes. They're all just landing. And they're landing. Your emotions are just landing and unloading. And air traffic control needs to say, whoa, hang on a minute. You're not landing here. You're denied entry. You're, you, you're not even in my... You shouldn't be in my airspace. It's like a rogue... It's like a rogue aircraft from, from a rogue regime flying into your airspace. And in Australia and around the world, we'd send our fighter jets to let them know, you better back off or we'll shoot you down. Some of you have no fighter jet response. You just let it land. The next thing you know, it's all being expressed. And people are saying, what's up with you today? What? You said, what? Whoa, what was that about? And you're like, I don't know. And you don't know. But the truth is, you've got to stop saying, I don't know, because we love you, but we're tired of you saying, I don't know. Remember now, remember, remember, I'm sat here. <laughs> 
I don't want any of you uncoupling thinking, oh, I don't like this. Don't do that. I don't want this to come across this way. So I'm still. But I think that helplessness is learned. We, we learn to surrender to it and then think, I'm a victim and you're not. You know, some of you, it's a worst case scenario for some of us because some of us, we have, you know, on Uber, you can order a bigger vehicle, Uber XL. Some of you are ferrying around other people's stuff. You're not just, your emotions aren't just like summoning you um, for what you're thinking about. Other people are summoning your emotions to give their emotions a ride. Now you're canning around, now you're like Uber XL person. Now you're loaded down. And this is why some of you think you need a breakthrough and think the devil's after you. If there's a devil in your world, it's probably going to be found in the mirror. Maybe it's self-inflicted. Maybe it's you that's your own devil. Maybe we should say to you, come out of that demon and leave it alone. It hasn't got you. You have formed an attachment to it because you haven't understood. Your soul's hierarchy is out of control. And your emotions are usurping and taking you for a ride. And now you think you can't get free of it. And you are not the chauffeur of everything you feel. You are not the expressor of everything you feel. You are not the owner and you're not behaviorally shaped. And your habits are not governed by everything you feel. This week, from today onwards, you have an option. And just stop. And ask yourself, okay, whoa, what was that? Okay. I'm not going to express that. Count to five before you open your mouth. Wait. Just calm down. Think, okay, I'm not going to do that. This will be a huge gift to your soul if you will make what I just said a new behavior. I know we're late in 2018, but there's still enough of this year left for it to turn out better than you thought it would because you've spent the first 10 months trying to fix stuff by a breakthrough touch of God if I can't get it here, I'll go to a conference and get it mentality. But I think if you'll put some work on the inside, if you'll rearrange this order of the soul, like I've been telling you, and play around with that for a couple of months, I think you'll start 2019 with, with more of a sense of being in charge, with more of a sense of feeling in control, with more of a sense of self-determination than you've had for most of this year when you've kind of felt out of control and you've kind of felt... I've just been one big Uber driver all this year and last year and the year before. So this week, homework. And, and if you know each other and you do life together this week, all the better. If you're married or your friends or your family, all the better because you were in the room together. And now you can say this to each other and it becomes shorthand for we're on the same page, aren't we? And so this week, if you sat next to drama, if you're married to drama, if you are parented by drama, or your parenting drama, or you work for drama, or with drama, and this is your circle in the room today, this week you can even have the short of saying, I ain't going to be your Uber. And they're all going to know what it means. And you've got to have it said to you too, I ain't going to be your Uber. It becomes the new lingo for I'm not going to give myself to that emotion that for a long time has wrecked outcomes in my life and helped me and assisted me well to make bad decisions. Thank you for taking the time to listen. 
you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 